Okay. Uh, um, here we are. Uh, welcome back again to the Applied Channel Theory, um, discussions on Applied Channel Theory. And I'm Jason Robertson, and I'm here with May Lee, and we've done a couple discussions together. And today, uh, May Lee would like to talk about Dr. Wong's use of head points. And this is something that we probably really haven't talked about a lot on any of these dialogues and, and elsewhere as much. And May Lee uh, really, I think, has a talent for thinking through the use of head points and observe Dr. Wong very carefully in, the, in his use of them. So thanks, May Lee, for being back and talking about this. Hi, Jason. Thank you. Um, yeah. yeah, so head points Dr. Wong would use quite often, and he often would needle points on the head before he has the patient lie down to do points on the rest of the body. And that's probably because um, it's more convenient to do the head points first before they lay down. But um, he did do a lot of head points for um, musculoskeletal problems, for instance. And his, his uh, points of choice for those would, would usually be do 19, holding, which I'm sure everybody has um, learned if, if you've taken even just one seminar with Dr. Wong. Uh, because the do 19 has a lot of uses for anything from neck pain to upper back pain, lower, even lower back pain. And sometimes even pain in the heel hmm. can be treated with holding. So describe for us then your kind of general principles that you think the mechanisms of holding, like, like when is it indicated? How do you choose that point before we go to others? Oh yeah. Good question. So a lot of times he'll, um, he'll ask the patient, uh, are you able to bend your, you know, um, bend at the waist, you know, um, bend over at the waist or arch your back? Does it hurt? So any kind of like pain upon movement along the, um, that UB and do my line from the neck all the way down to the lower back, even, uh -huh. even to the sacrum, then he'll think of, Holding, and he, he also he, he always said holding is really good for um, problems of the tendons and the sinews, especially along the spine, because they can relax those. That point can relax those muscles, mm. and and the reason why is because he explained it anatomically, because do nineteen holding is is right where the muscles of the neck attach to the head, and then the muscles of, of the back kind of um, the chi the chi of the muscles of the back concentrate at that point. Mm -hmm. So you have like connection from the neck to that point itself. But then I guess there's a indirect channel connections between those muscles and the muscles of the back and the spine. If that Almost makes sense. one, yeah, one broad fascial plane too. Exactly. Attaching yeah. up there, there's all those sutures, those cranial sutures are right there where do 19 is located. Yes. So, yes, so that's why this point has such a strong effect on the pathologies of the muscles, tendons, and ligaments along all along that, that line, the midline of the back, as well as the side, right, the bladder channel lines. Um, do you palpate do 19 and kind of when you're thinking of using it, do you look to find something there that's palpable or is that not necessary in, in your use of it? I think it's, um, he explained it as you have to find 
the correct depression, first of all, right? The correct location of the point. And then if, if there is something palpable, you should go with that. If not, then just go with the location of the point. Mm -hmm. uh, just get the needle in there in that space. So the needle has to go in, in between the skin, right? But it has to go deep enough where the needle, what, it has to be inserted deep enough where, where the needle can slide down along that, um, the dumai, but downward. So it's going to slide in very easily. There should be no um, resistance. If there's a resistance, it can mean one of two things. Like first, first of all, you didn't get the correct depth, or it could just mean that that person um, doesn't have much channel chi in that area. So that area, the channels dried up. And then that's, that's usually a poor prognosis for using that point when that happens. Mm, so then you're less likely to use it on a follow-up visit or keep trying if, if there's just nothing. Yeah. And if there's no space there, you leave it alone. Yes, yes. I find that it's very hard to get any, any kind of benefit from do 19 when that happens, when the, the needle just doesn't find a good um, kind of slippery area to go in. And again, to be clear for those listening who haven't, can't really see this on a video, which we could you know, show at some point, you're using a 1.5 ton needle and mm -hmm. maybe, I mean, 32, 34 gauge potentially, mm -hmm. and you're aiming, you're inserting it close to, you're inserting it right in that perfect uh, divot or the space you can find at the textbook location area around those, uh, those cranial sutures. And then the needle is pointed downwards, like towards the feet. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and it's going to follow yeah, the curvature of the head too a little bit. Yeah. When you're needling, you want to be aware of, be mindful of that when you're directing the needle downward, that it's going to follow the curvature of the head a little bit. And so as an introduction to head needling, I guess these same principles would be true of any head point, that you're still trying to get in that space. It needs to have some chi in order to be effective, et cetera. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. I think that's true of most points, but especially on the head. Um, he, he mentioned that there, ha there has to be um, enough depth with the needling at that point. And so then imagining Dr. Wong say, let's just start with do 19 again. So the, the person has come in, he's done some of that assessment you mentioned, like he's decided it's, you know, that flexion and extension of the vertebra, the, the spinal column or into the sacrum or even further down the leg that it's in the midline, so to speak. And you said he usually needles that point first, then, then is he going to, you know, just again, for those who haven't heard before, is he going to take it out or leave it in or what happens next? So normally after he needles it, he'll do what's called um, which um, that, that's Dr. Wong's term for this technique, which is a, what we translate as the needle rubbing method right, of, manip of needle manipulation. So um, basically it's just trying to create friction at that spot where the needle is inserted. And um, by creating that friction, or back and forth rubbing, so, you, so you're gonna um, place your hand right over where the needle um, is inserted, right? And a little bit downward so that you're on the, the scalp. And so you're gonna press, you're gonna press down and then rub back and forth on the needle that's underneath the scalp. Mm -hmm. You're creating this friction, so you're stimulating the, the chi at that point. Um, he said that's really important for getting uh, a good effect with that point, is to do that. 
And if you don't do it, it may, maybe the effect won't be as good. But at, and afterwards, um, he would leave the needle in. In fact, he would leave the, the needle at do 19 until um, he'll send the patient home with the needle there until he'll usually say some, sometime in the afternoon, 4 or 5 p, uh, p.m., that they can um, take it out themselves or have a family member take it out for them. Which I assume, people. like me, is not something you do uh, in the U.S. as much. Not as much, but I usually ask the patient for permission. Like, would it be okay if I left this in until the afternoon? You'd be surprised. Some people they'll do it. Okay with that. So. Yeah, yeah. And I tell them, you must set an alarm, or are you going to forget? <laughs> <laughs> like while you're showering at night. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I bet that has happened too. So, yes. but at least in Dr. Wong's experience and yours as well, and and mine too, that it's certainly a safe point to needle to leave in. I guess the the, the issue would be, of course, if it fell out and someone stepped on it or something. But for the patient, it's safe to retain. Yeah, because it, the skull is there. You can't penetrate the skull with the needle, right? <laughs> So this brings up something that may or may not be easy to do on a podcast without visual demonstration. So we can see how this goes and we don't have to go as far. But, you know, the really interesting thing that I think you got very clearly from studying with Dr. Wong was then what happens next? He would often add a secondary needle around the do 19 zone, right? Can you talk about that concept a bit and how to figure that out? Oh, sure. You know, I didn't finish um, about the needle rubbing manipulation. Oh, yeah, please. He would have the patient, while he's doing the needle uh, rubbing manipulation, he would have the patient um, kind of like stretch the spine straight. So he would start by saying, um, straighten your lower back and then straighten your mid back, straighten your upper back so that the entire spine is straight. And then he would continue to do some more needle um, rubbing for a, a few seconds. And then sometimes he would have them take in a deep breath breathe down into the area where they have pain. So if it's in the lower back, he would say, breathe down into your lower back and hold the breath there for a few seconds while he does more needle rubbing, right? And then he would say, okay, now cough loudly. So the, when, when the patient coughs, um, the, the spine, it will create a jolt in the spine, sort of to like, um, as an attempt to fix any minor subluxation there might be. So that, that, that part is really important. If he, if he suspects there's any subluxation or any kind of displacement of tendons and ligaments along the spine. And sometimes he would, if, if um, the patient has any leg symptoms related to that, right, to that pathology, he would have them stand up. And then he, uh, of course, Dr. Wang is tall, right? He was very tall, so he didn't have to stand on any chair, but normally I would have to stand on a chair to do this. <laughs> Yeah. So the patient would stand out and I would be on a chair. Um, so then, yes, yeah, so then you would have to um, continue the needle rubbing manipulation at do 19 while you have the patient stomp on the, on the floor with the affected leg, with the affected foot. Um, you, so or if it was the left low back, they'd be stomping their left leg, for example. Yeah, but sometimes there's sciatica, right, or something mm -hmm. like that, or numbness in the legs because of back pain or something. Right. Um, so he, he would have the patient stomp the foot of the affected leg um, three times while he does more needle rubbing at do 19. And sometimes he'll have them kick with that foot. <laughs> it would be like a forward, downward kind of heel kick. <laughs> so he would have them do that like on the count of one, two, and three. 
And that, again, is to create a kind of jerky motion that would um, move the area of the back that's problematic and perhaps fix the problem. Well, as you've said, and I just want to emphasize this so it's clear, he is really stimulating the do 19 point by pressing and rubbing while the person is doing those movements. It's that combination of the two. Yes, yes. So um, I've seen him, I've seen him treat all kinds of uh, musculoskeletal problems that affect the lower back, even upper back and neck with these um, manipulations and techniques. And it's very effective. Like immediately the patient would say, oh my gosh, you know, it feels better or oh my gosh, I can move better. So this is something that I think all students should try and master. Yes. And um, well, keep going, talking about other head points. Go where you will. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so going to, what were you asking me before I started well, talking about needle rubbing manipulation? Well, there's, there, there's that now. interesting. Oh, yeah, the, the yeah, palpation. Mm -hmm. of, right. Okay, so sometimes I noticed do 19 itself, or if I cannot find any kind of um, channel change in that area, sometimes I'll, I'll look a little bit to the, to the left. Well, Dr. Wan says, he calls it ding jie jie, uh -huh. which is kind of like the, uh, the left-sided or right-sided do 19, right? So, but sometimes if you can't find anything in those areas, you can go a little higher or even a little lower and you might find what does that sound sorry sorry that was that was nothing keep sorry go on so yeah you're looking for sorry i'll explain later yeah sometimes you can go a little higher or a little bit lower on the scalp um meaning higher than the level of do 19 or lower than the level of do 19. checking kind of on the bladder channel is that right or not even that far out yes yeah, sometimes the bladder channel, sometimes as far out as the gallbladder channel or mm -hmm. anywhere in between. Checking everywhere yeah. by palpation. Right. If you can find a jie luo that's very tender when you press on it, and if you needle that spot, it's um, SI joint pain. So, Meili, sorry, I, say that again. I'm sorry. I, we got cut off just a moment. I apologize to everyone listening. Uh, sure. You said that... Um, Looking for the uh, ding jie jie, you would be checking for kind of a jie luo, like a nodule you could feel on the scalp, kind of somewhere between that dew vessel line, the bladder channel, the gallbladder channel. You have to really use palpation to look for this second point that we're talking about. Yes, and, and it's, um, it, it can, uh, that point can move, you know, so you have to palpate for it. It can be anywhere between dew 19 and bladder 9, or be anywhere between bladder nine and gallbladder 19. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then, um, what was I saying? Yeah, so if you can find an associated jie luo, let's say for, say for example, somebody has um, left-sided sciatic pain and they have, they have pain um, in the SI joint whenever they move their leg, you know, whenever they um, bend over, uh, I, I often find something in between do 19 and bladder nine. Okay. Or sometimes right on bladder, bladder nine area. Uh-huh. 
And what does it feel like to you? Does it feel squishy? Do you feel a gel? Is it more of a hard nodule or is there like a swelling on the scalp? Say more about what it feels like. It varies, but it's usually some kind of jelo that's very tender when you press on it. And the patient will go, whoa, whoa, that's really painful. And so it feels like a little tiny noodle in there, kind of. Yes. Yeah, a little noodle, or sometimes it's just a really sore um, but clear indentation. Mm-hmm. And then when you find, say, a noodle, just for those listening also, are you, do you try to needle right into the noodle, or how do you then place the needle? Or maybe you were heading there. So, Dr. Wang, when it comes to needling at the area where you find channel changes, uh, whether it be nodules, lumps, or jielo, or uh, I always translate that as congealed collaterals, uh-huh. for lack of a better term. Um, he, he would always say needle right next to it. But sometimes you'll probably end up needling right into it, but underneath it, you know. Mm-hmm. But he, he would always say try to find um, a good space right next to the channel change. Yeah, yeah, that's how I try to teach students as well. So, yeah, so when you find these even on the head, you're not trying to pulverize the nodule you found. You're trying to find healthy channel spaces right next to it to kind of upregulate local flow in a way. Right, you're not trying to pop the nodule. (laughs) That's really, yeah, and that's important, I think, for people listening because it could easily be misunderstood. In all of these cases, whenever we're talking about channel changes anywhere, it's the goal is kind of not to needle the thing, but the space next to the thing is how I say it often, too. Right, because we're still trying to needle into the channel space. So you find these spaces, you have to be creative on the head. You're looking mm-hmm. around on the same side as the issue often. That's, cor- that's correct, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's then so even bad. say upper body, shoulder and arm issues. Do you do that as well? Also oh, for those, um, he would describe another extra point called mm. And it's more... Um, and uh, like forehead. Yeah, forehead. So more anterior, um, closer to the forehead, is where you would have to find um, some kind of knot there. Same idea, exploring create creatively. So now we're talking probably like the UB6 area zone and then heading out to the gallbladder channel. Is that correct? Right, right, in that, in that region. But again, it can float around depending on um, exactly where the patient has pain, I suppose. And do you ever do kind of what Yafim does? And when you, I've always wanted to ask you this. So these, these other nodules you're looking for on the head, let's just say in the edges or in the like front of the head, you know, do 21 lateral to that zone palpating around. Do you ever kind of find the nodule, press it, and then have the person move to see if it helps the pain or gives them better oh, range I of do. motion? Yes, I do. Yeah. I forgot to mention. So, um, for the do 19 and the, um, points. Uh-huh. Yeah, I often would, because there's so many um, possible areas right. that you might find that might relate to, let's say, the SI joint pain on the left side. Um, I often would press on it and have them move that area and say, okay, okay, this one helps the most, so that I'm going to choose that point. Great, to yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, yeah, because you often are confronted with too much information through a palpation, so that's useful for pain. Exactly. Yeah. Too much information sometimes. And so you have the, all right, so we have do 19 and the kind of the front and back jia points, uh, the, you know, looking to kind of, and they're off the center line. Are there other head points that Dr. Wong used a lot that, that you think about? There are. Um, so there, there's 
Tianding. So right, um, do nineteen is in Chinese called holding, right? The um, posterior vertex. And then there's Tianding, the anterior vertex, um, which is located right on the sagittal suture. But you have to really palpate and find an indentation. So sometimes, that's, that's yeah, do twenty one point. Do twenty one, yeah. So yeah. that point, the location of that point can really vary from individual to individual. And here's where palpation really comes into play when you're trying to locate this point correctly. Um, he mentioned the, um, using tending for, um, I remember he treated a herpes zoster case, a shingles case with, with tending. Oh. Uh, and he explained it as um, tending, the difference between tending and holding is that tianding, because they, they both um, raise the clear yang, right? But tianding has the, is more tonifying in that regard. And so when you have an issue with um, the clear chi not rising and the, the turbid chi not being directed downward properly, that's when you would choose tianding for, let's say, um, deficiency type of shingles presentation like up in the head and face or anywhere anywhere in the body yeah. yeah it has a kind of a systemic lifting of yang and tonifying effect yes a systemic that's a good good word good way to put it and different i guess would you combine that with ren six i mean i'm just thinking out loud like that it's kind of like they have a similar personality almost in a way yeah maybe that would um, support the uh, the the clear chi rising Right. Or yeah, if there's perhaps. more turbidity, I know he used uh, Ren 12, Jongwon, with it, too. Sure, yeah. Jongwon, like, maybe. Spleen 9. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Always Spleen 9. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, so that's, yeah, that's a great, so um, using that point, and you've used it for systemic, not just like, you know, I think of that point, and maybe others do as well, of just kind of opening the front frontal sinuses for chronic sinusitis, and that could even fit this whole pattern of a deficiency lingering sinusitis, but do you have other cases where you use it, you know, for problems that are nowhere near the head, where you've used chending and thought of it like this? Oh, yeah, good question. Um, I know I, I use it a lot for dizziness. When somebody has dizziness uh, as a result of deficiency, right. I often think of this point. So That's dizziness is, is still a symptom of the head, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but it is a di like a system. Yeah, it's different than like something in the head. Well, anyway, depending on how you look at it, but that makes sense. It fits the, the idea of it facilitating yang lifting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we have just a couple of minutes left. Uh, is there another head point that you really are just itching to talk about that, uh, that you like to use yourself, especially? Um, itching to talk about. Not exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you like to use, uh, for example, what about gall, gallbladder 19, Nalkong, the brain hole? Oh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good point for um, a lot of Shaoyang type headaches, headaches on the along the Shaoyang channel. And that area gets palpable change. I find nodules and especially that kind of squishiness in that area too in Nalkong sometimes. Do you know, yes. EB19. And that's a good point for, that can affect the, um, the, the neck and shoulder area along the Shaoyang channel. So you've used it as a head point for something further down in the Shaoyang shoulder, you know, arm condition? Time. 
Yeah. So sometimes when let's say GB20, right? Function yeah. doesn't work as well as I had hoped, then I would use um, Nalcom as sort of a supporting point. And maybe and together it, even. Yes, and sometimes together. Right. And it, what does it feel like to you when you might consider using it? Do you feel, what is it, do you find palpable change there yourself? I do, yeah. I, I find the squishiness, as you mentioned. I've also found um, just just a very clear indentation. Yeah, right. And but very painful when I press on it. Yes, yeah. yeah. And, um, or sometimes sometimes I might even find the, the GLO there too. A little nodule at GB19. Yeah, not not nodule, more like like a the GLO, the congealed collateral. Yeah, the, the collateral, noodle. right? Yeah, the noodle. <laughs> That's my favorite translation of that <laughs> of GLO right now. <laughs> I love the food metaphors. I have beef jerky at spleen nine, spleen eight, like yeah, cottage cheese on the lung channel, all kinds of things we feel. <laughs> That's well, awesome. I don't um, think we can put that in the book, though. In the case no, but I definitely, uh, people can follow it. Students, if you use a food metaphor, brie cheese, cottage cheese, you know, it works often. Yeah, so these noodle people, people know what that feels like on people's heads. So kind of to wrap up this head thing, I mean, we could, now there's probably so much more to learn, let alone talk about, about palpation of the skull and just thinking generally about the channel pathways uh, on the head as being places you can palpate for stuff downstream in the arms and legs and the rest of the body as well. That's kind of the big thing to think about here. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, um, as I think we're running out of time and, uh, I, I, you know, we're going to just keep doing these for a while. So May Lee and I'll be back or May Lee will be talking to Nisa or talking to Yafim or John, but we're going to keep rotating each other around and, and quizzing each other on subjects, but we just try to keep them short. So they're little short dialogues that people could listen to just between patients or something. So for now we'll stop, but we're by no means finished. And I just want to really thank May Lee as uh, one of Dr. Wong's apprentices for all the work she's been doing uh, over the years, kind of translating his material, working on this case studies book that we're eventually going to finish and everything else. You're just a, 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 such a great friend and colleague to have. So thanks. Thank you, Jason.